Welcome to the Brian Nichols Show. I'm your host, Brian Nichols, Associate Editor at the Libertarian Republic. The Brian Nichols Show is the latest and greatest podcast on the We Are Libertarians Network. If it's your first time joining the Brian Nichols Show, welcome the Brian Nichols Show, we're the fastest growing liberty podcast, reaching all those across the political spe- spectrum. And really, my goal, guys, as hosts, is to present the news in an objective manner with the three main goals of being to help educate, enlighten, and inform. As always, follow me on Twitter and Facebook at B. Nichols Liberty. And please feel free to subscribe to, uh, to my Patreon at B. Nichols Liberty to help us keep producing this content you enjoy. If you have any questions or comments, email me at thebriannicholshow at gmail.com. Also, please share today's podcast with your family and friends to help promote the message of liberty. And finally, please take a moment and rate and like us on iTunes. Also, if you're interested in one of these don't hurt people, don't take people's stuff's bumper stickers, send me an email at thebriannicholshow at gmail.com for more details. And ladies and gentlemen, welcome back for another fun-filled episode uh, we, we have, again, continuing with this great uh, trait of having these wonderful guests on. Um, last week, we obviously had uh, the Tea Party uh, co-founder, Michael Johns. He joined us to be able to uh, speak about his his helping found and create this limited government movement back in uh, 2008 and 2009. Uh, today, though, I am joined by yet another fantastic guest. This guest this time is running for Congress is never an easy thing as a write-in libertarian. Today I'm joined by Charles Hargrove. Charles, how are you? Hi, good evening. <laughs> so, Charles, thank you so much for taking the time <laughs> to, uh, to join us today. And, and we were kind of talking before the air. We're running a little late, so I was saying before I got stuck in traffic because over here in Philadelphia, um, over at the Mann Center, they, they do a, an orchestra in the park. And what they'll do is they'll have a movie playing, and then the orchestra will play the uh, the score to that movie alongside it in in, in real time. And today is the Harry Potter uh, film being aired, and they're having the, the Philadelphia Orchestra play the, the company music. So naturally, on my route home, which usually is a sneaky route, um, it actually would go right to the man center. So all of a sudden, what usually is like a 15-minute ride home turned into a 45-minute ride home. So... Uh, I apologize, Charles, for being a little uh, a little Gee, delayed. Today. Forty-five minutes. You should be driving in New York City. It'll take you an hour, <laughs> and that's I'm on a normal sp- night. <laughs> I'm spoiled here in Philadelphia for the most part. But uh, Charles, thank you so much for taking the time to, to join us today. I mean, really, what I wanted to do first and foremost is introduce who you are as as a not only a candidate but first as a person. So, um, you know, if you could kind of give us your, your your Wikipedia page, who is Charles Hargrove? My Wikipedia page. Okay, uh, let's see. I'm a 58 year old. Um, I've been sort of conservative my entire life, but when I was sitting down with a friend from my local amateur radio group one day back in the 90s, he said, "You know, you're so conservative. You're a libertarian." So I said, "Hmm, let me go look that up." <laughs> and it's like, "Gee, he was right." Um, as far as my background's concerned, you know, I've always lived here in New York City. Um, I'm the oldest of eight children, four boys, four girls. Wasn't planned that way. It just worked out that way. Uh, My father was a registered Democrat. He was a son of a police officer, Irish family in Queens. So, you know, the Democratic Party was their big thing. My mother was a registered Republican. And you should have seen the sparks fly between my mother and my my, uh, father's mother when it came to the Kennedy-Nixon election in 1960. <laughs> so coming from that kind of background, um, we always had a mix of – not that there was a battle in our family, but my parents always looked at things in such a way that let's get all the information first, and then <clears throat> together we'll sit down and decide who is the best candidate for this particular election. So they were very independent-minded even though they were registered with the two different parties. Uh, sometimes I thought they did that on purpose. But um, I, I remember when I was nine years old, they even got me involved with uh, handing out literature for the local conservative candidate who was running for mayor. John Markey was the state senator for Staten Island, but uh, he was running for mayor at the time. And I attended a couple of political rallies and whatnot, but I was never really a political person. But I always liked history. I liked the Constitution. I liked how our country was formed, the struggle between what's right, what's wrong, um, the struggles that we had against things like the Nazis in World War II and the communists in the Cold War. So I was sort of kept up on that. 
And then, of course, the whole fiscal thing came into play in the 70s when Nixon took us off the gold standard and everybody went through this deep recession and prices going crazy. And uh, by the time we got around to Reagan being elected to office, I was like, okay, I'm heading in this direction. I want a better life for us than what we've had under Carter. So, yeah, at that point, I got married. My wife and I, we had uh, four daughters in the space of eight years in the 80s. And uh, two of them actually went off into the military, right? Uh, right about the time of 9-11. The first one went into the Army. And the second one went a year later into the Marine Corps. You know, they both went through the uh, junior ROTC program at high school. Mm-hmm. Now, both my wife and myself, um, we were amateur radio operators throughout the 90s. You know, me first and then, you know, because I had a lifelong love of electronics and taught myself electronics. And, and really quick, to learn before, how... before you continue that, like, yeah. can, can you kind of explain? I know, I know. You... <laughs> say, well, explain what, what, what is it to be an amateur radio operator? Because I'm sure that there's there's going to be a lot of listeners who they're not familiar with that, that terminology. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, amateur radio is a, um, is a combination hobby and service that the FCC licenses. So unlike CB, we just buy a radio from, well, let me see, Radio Shack is defunct now, so you have to get a radio somewhere else. Um, you know, rather than just buy the radio and get on the air, with amateur radio, there is a test. And depending upon what, now there's three classes of license in increasing uh, difficulty. But the basic one, technician class, you know, you learn basic rules and regulations, basic electronic theory. And once you pass that test, you know, 35 questions, you only need uh, 26 to pass. And you pick yourself up a walkie-talkie or a VHF, UHF radio stick in your car, and you can talk to other ham radio operators. You get a unique call sign from the, from the FCC. And, of course, if you wanted to uh, then get more power, more frequencies, get on the shortwave bands, well, you have to get your general class and then your extra class. So it's um, – as a hobby, people learn about electronics, learn about propagation of signals, uh, learn how to pass messages to each other, learn how to uh, dig out those weak signals and the in the noise of, of the short wave bands. But the service part of it is where you make yourself and your equipment available in case there's a need. So if there's a need to pass a message for people in a hurricane zone, because they're now in a shelter and they have to tell their relatives, hey, I'm okay, I will call you in three days or something like that. Okay. And there's the, you know, they pass radiograms, you know, the, the old telegrams. Well, we do mm-hmm. that on the radio. Okay. And it's a free service, totally free. Um, for those of us who are more tactical in nature, um, like we have here in New York City, I'm the president, uh, the founder and the president of the New York City Amateur Radio Emergency Communication Service, NYC-AREcs.org, if you want to look it up on the website, um, where we <clears throat> locally would make ourselves available to groups like the Red Cross and New York City OEM um, for, uh, you know, in case their communication lines go down. And we had that happen. I was gonna we say, had it happened in 9-11, yeah. um, the 2003, we had this major blackout in the Northeast. We had Hurricane Sandy uh, coming up on six years in October. So there, there are plenty of opportunities. Not that we wish for a disaster right. so that we could use our skills, but the thing is to keep yourself ready so that when you are needed, you can just step into it. And the way we keep ready, besides weekly on-the-air um, what we call nets or on-the-air meetings. We also have different public service events that we support, let's say a charity or a bike ride or the New York City Marathon or Fibro Bike Tour or anything like that. We provide the communications for those events. To, for them, it's a free service and, oh, great, more volunteers and they, they know what they're doing. For us, it's a way of practice. So while they're thanking okay. us, I'm turning around and thanking them for the opportunity to practice. Right, and, and I kind of, um, I think... People can see kind of where this is going because I, I interrupted you there to ask questions about the radio because <clears throat> you started to speak about uh, 9-11 there in New York City. Could you kind of uh, yeah. you know, elaborate there? What was your role in the behind the scenes with the uh, the communications? Well, as being the uh, – I was known as the, um, the citywide radio officer attached to the New York City OEM office. So anything having to do with amateur radio operators in support of any – um, government or non-government agency during 9-11. And that was my responsibility. So in having 
our particular group already trained by doing all these public service events and prior, you know, um, Red Corps shelter openings for the latest blizzard a few years prior to that. Um, we also had liaisons with other amateur radio groups outside of New York City who wanted to come in and help. So we had to coordinate all that kind of stuff. And uh, we wound up having oh, probably about 250 or so amateur radio operators in the course of three weeks come through our operation. And some of them came back you know, multiple times. You know, they would work for 12 hours and then go home for a couple of days and come back for another 12-hour shift or whatever. Uh, we had about a dozen Red Cross shelters that were opened up at various public schools. We had a respite center for all the workers on Ground Zero over Chase Stadium. There were three command posts for New York City OEM. Uh, we had uh, two warehouse operations. We had liaison with uh, White Plains Red Cross who were bringing ham radio operators from uh, New England and upstate New York, which is where you're from. Mm -hmm. So they would stage in White Plains and then they would come down into the city by Red Cross van when we needed them. Uh, we even had a team from Lehigh Valley, Pennsylvania. Their races group came in as a whole group with portable repeaters and equipment and everything in mass. And that was great. We That was in the second week and we needed that because <laughs> our people were getting exhausted. So it was imagine. good that we had that happen. And we, we've kept in touch with them. In fact, we're supposed to be having uh, a joint uh, monthly meeting between their radio group and ours by way of video conferencing sometime later this year. So, uh, yeah, we, everybody looks to help each other out. So, um, I mean, you, you kind of alluded there with 9-11 with, uh, and obviously the other disasters that took place thereafter with the 03 blackout and with Hurricane Sandy. Um, so, I mean, it, it, it's it's interesting because this is something that you're so passionate about. But then here you are, and, and I say anybody who runs their politics must have something wrong with it mentally because it's such <laughs> It's such a it's such a a beat down kind of uh, lifestyle because ah. it, I mean you're you're literally you're you're in the forefront you're you're you know running for office people are gonna try to to take you down and I mean seeing you're so passionate about this what is it that all of a sudden you're like you know what it, I need to do my part and now and and run for office what was that that tipping point well taking the previous let's say 30, 35 years of always reading of always listening and being frustrated with what I've heard of the different levels of government from the feds all the way down to you know, the, the local people. And of course, you know, here I am in the middle of New York City, 9 million people and four of the five boroughs are purely blue and Staten Island is the only red one. So, <laughs> so seeing this time after time after time and the frustration level just I get annoyed with different things, and I'll speak out. <laughs> Everybody, yeah, I, th I think it's a recurring I, thing I libertarian. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but uh, no, I, I won't get on soapbox. And there's this one guy that gets on one of the local amateur radio repeaters. Um, he changed his, you know, you, you're allowed to file for a what they call a vanity call sign. You pay, you know, a little bit extra charge for that. But he changed his call sign when during the Obama administration, and was really railing away against the Democrats on the air. You're not supposed to do that in amateur radio. You're not supposed to talk sex, religion, or politics. You know, just because you're a mixed company. It, it's, mm -hmm. you know, it's not in the FCC rules, but you shouldn't do it. And he was going on and on about this all the time. And, you know, we just constantly had to, like, push him to the side. Okay, Steve, go over there. Go over there. You know, <laughs> it's not acceptable on the air, Steve. So... I'm not like that, but I, I have no problem sitting and getting into a deep conversation with friends and family about a particular uh, topic. You hear something on the news, you read something in the paper or the magazine or online, and you just have to like expand it. You got to tear it apart, open it up, look at what all the different things are. Why is this right? Why is this wrong? How it can be fixed? So I've been doing that for years and never really jumping into it. Well, what was the impetus this time? June 13th. Ominous day. Now, the primaries here in New York State for federal positions were June 26th, and those for state positions is going to be September 13th. So June 26th is only 13 days away, and I'm getting inundated by all sorts of political literature between the two Republicans that are battling it out. 
you know, Dan Donovan and Michael Grimm. And Michael Grimm recently got out of federal prison because of tax evasion. And Dan Donovan was the <laughs> was the district attorney who went in to take Grimm's place when he got when he resigned and went into jail. So and they're vicious back and forth, back and forth. And then on the Republic, uh, on the Democrat side, you've got uh, Max Rose, who's a 31 year old ex-army guy. And uh, well, there's a there's something about his background I'm not really sure about, but I don't like to put my finger on it. But there were like six of them running against each other, and half of them were socialist. In everything they were saying, they were socialist. <laughs> so I'm looking at all this now. I work for the U.S. Postal Service. I, you know, when the IT field collapsed and it, all the jobs went over to India. My friend told me he was a supervisor at the biggest sorting facility in the world is over in Midtown Manhattan. He calls me up and says, hey, they're giving a test for electronic technician. You're going to ace this thing and you get some benefits. OK, what the heck? And it's just as things were getting bad at, towards the uh, last half of 2007. You can see the writing on the wall. The market oh, yeah. was starting to turn around. So I said, all right, I just came off a six month consulting job at IBM traveling around the country. All right. So I took the test, got a 92. I, I think the only thing I goofed on that test was something about conveyor belts, because the closest I've been to one is, you know, going to the supermarket. <laughs> so, yeah, right. <laughs> so, you know, anything electronics, you know, mechanical, electrical systems, uh, you know, lasers, computers, no problem. I taught myself when I was 12 years old. So I took that job, was technician for a while, went through different things. They did a reorganization. They wound up taking the machines away from us. On this, at the Staten Island facility where I transferred to, and I had to go back to Manhattan. And the head of the maintenance department says, you know, we can use you as a supervisor. Yeah, I became a supervisor. In doing that, I get to see a little bit bigger of the picture. Well, here I am now, you know, my wife passed away back in 2015. Um, so I transferred back to Staten Island. Now I'm the, the head of the maintenance group for one particular facility. So I, I get involved with everything now. You know, I even switched out all the computers for the, for the windows. And I see all the political stuff flowing through there like crazy. Tons of it, pallets full of it. And then I see it at home. And then I saw it on TV. And I'm sitting there and I'm saying, that's it. I'm sick and tired. I'm jumping in. I got on Facebook, shout out a message to all my friends. Write me in on the primary. As a Are Republican. you sure? I said, yeah, just write me in. <laughs> all right. And then you said that as a Republican to do that. As, well, as a Republican. But what turns out, the conservative party, he was allowing anybody to write in on theirs. So I didn't care. You know, write me in on everybody's. I don't care. <laughs> and I said, even if I don't get it, which I know I won't, let's do it again in November. Because I have to shake this thing up because what's coming out of their mouths is so partisan, is so petty, is so personal, and nobody's following the Constitution anymore. Especially when I looked at the voting records. It's like, forget this. <laughs> So what do I have to lose? I'm 58 years old. I'll be 59 later this year. I'm going to be retiring in 10 years anyway. So it's not like I need this as a lifetime job like most of these politicians do. These are career politicians. I mean, look at Senator Byrd from West Virginia. How long was he a senator for? 60 years? <laughs> thousand, before he thousand broke? years, yeah. Yeah, something crazy like that. So it's like I'm not a career politician. I don't like career politicians. 95% of them are lawyers anyway. So it's like, all right, this whole thing, when it was set up with the Constitution back in the late 1700s, was designed for the average person to represent their area. That's why it's only a two-year term. It's so that Bob goes and represents his county for two years. He comes back home every so often, does town hall meetings. This is what we're talking about. How do you want me to vote? Go back there, and he votes that way. And then when two years are up, then George takes his turn, and he goes down there. And then when he's done, Bill takes his turn. He goes down there. We don't see that anymore. We see these politicians get in and they stay there. Five, 10, 15, 20, 30 years. And it's funny how they usually and, come out a lot a lot wealthier than they were when they went in, despite a, uh, I, I would dare say, you know, even though they're making, uh, you know, just, just a little bit over six figures, it, it's not exactly substantial amounts of money, but they come out, Come out millionaires. It's, it's interesting well, how that happens. Well, a few years ago, Motley Fool website, the, the investing website, has a page that shows what happens when you become a member of Congress. 
And at that time, and I don't know if it's still the same, but at that time, the salary for representatives in the House was $174,000 a year, plus an expense budget for staff and offices to the tune of like $1.2 million each year. Hmm. Senators get more for their office staff. So, yeah, they, they come out of it richer. And how they get some of this money, you know, a little deal on the side over here. You wind up being a lobbyist when you leave office. You invest in this. You, it's all garbage to me. I used to work in Wall Street. So I know what you're supposed to do per the uh, SEC, the Securities Exchange Commission. And then when the Federal Election Commission comes in and says, you got to put your stuff into blind trust, it doesn't stop them from learning things and then using that to their advantage or to their friend's advantage. Mm -hmm. So it's a matter of proving it, though. <laughs> and not all of them do it. Right. I hope. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, and you're in a, an election, and, and you kind of touched on it there, obviously, where we had someone like Michael Grimm, who he, he went through his own you know, behind the scenes, dirty stuff financially, um, where he has been mm -hmm. using his power. Um, so, I mean, it's, it's not something that is, it's not unique to, to any specific party or, or, you know, any specific oh, no. role. It's just, it's this ingrained, uh, quid pro quo kind of mentality in, and not just Washington, but I mean, across the entire United States, both, I mean, all, right. all say, levels of government. And it's a huge temptation of course it is. I mean, you look that they at, succumb to. Look at look at New York State, for example. I mean, here we are. We're we're both New Yorkers. And, oh, King uh, Cuomo. <laughs> well, King Cuomo, and then uh, I think even more notorious was the former um, majority leader there, uh, uh, Speaker of the the Assembly, um, Sheldon Silver. Uh, I mean, he was. Oh God. He was mm. the <laughs> epitome of what it meant to be a corrupt uh, politician, only on the the level of being, you know, obviously in the New York State Assembly. Um, yeah, I, I just, I mean, it's. It's fascinating because we know this. We everybody knows what's happening. Um, you know, you, you ask that. I mean, there's a reason why Congress has, I think, it's single-digit approval ratings across the board. Um, there's a reason why people, when they they say, you know, are the top people that they they distrust, it's lawyers and politicians. Um, and yet it we, used to be car salesmen. Yeah, exactly. And now it's politicians <laughs> are out there at the top, which is amazing. And and yet the. Yep, they steep. They keep on voting for these same people because I think every time they say, you know, oh, the, the next one's gonna be different. The next person's gonna be different. So, I mean, to you, what do you think the the solution is? What what do we need well, to have happen? It's interesting you bring up that particular point that people are hoping the next one's gonna be better. First off, if you're constantly voting along party lines, there's no guarantee that you're ever going to get out of that rut. Two, when George Washington was president, there were no political parties. And in a conversation I had with a friend of mine out in California earlier today, we touched on that he would like to see a situation where he doesn't worry about the political party, but each person presents what they believe in, what their track record is, and what they would like to do when they get into whatever that office is. And then he would go through all the different points, one against the other, based upon his personal belief. So I said, OK, well, what, you know, what party are you with now? He says, well, I'm a registered Republican. I said, OK. And based upon some of the things that you said previously in this conversation, it sounds like some of the things that you uh, are in line with are on the Republican side. And some of the things are touching on the Democrat side says, yeah, yeah, you know, I don't totally go one way or the other. I said, well, guess what, Mark? You're a libertarian. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, go to my Twitter feed. Go back to July 23rd. I got a chart there that I got from the Libertarian National website, which shows Democrats on the left, Republicans on the right, Libertarians in the middle, and what we all believe in, and how there's a little bit of overlap here or there. And I said, but it's not just that it's an overlap thing you got to also hold it up against the Constitution. The Constitution was written in such a way for a reason. And if people don't understand the reason, go read the Federalist Papers. Yeah. All the reasons are right there. 
Now, yes, okay, that was 1787, but this is 2018. That doesn't matter. Somebody who's a Christian believes the same things that Christians did 2,000 years ago. Somebody who's Jewish believes in things that the Jews believed in 3,000 years ago. So time has no bearing on this. What are the core beliefs and values? That's what somebody's got to use in their decision-making process. I think the problem, though, is that people are, I mean, it's going to sound a little condescending, but by and large, people are either apathetic or, or truly they're just lazy because they well, don't want to do the digging. I think, you know, if what's the, uh, I'm, I'm trying to find the right analogy because I've heard a lot of different things over the years. Um, baby elephant. You put a chain around its leg and you stick a stake in the ground. Baby elephant can't move. It can just go around in a circle around the stake. After a while of growing up with that chain around its ankle and that stake, at some point you can walk over there, take it off, and the elephant will not walk away because it's been conditioned not to try anymore. People are the same way. You keep beating them down, beating them down. They don't trust anymore, and they just collapse into themselves. So you start getting the apathy. You start getting that distrust. You start getting that, I'm just going to give up. By the time they become adults who are 30, 40, 50 years old, well, if you want to control a group of people, get them to that state psychologically, and you can do whatever you want because they're not going to challenge you. I look at it the other way around. Stop giving up. Stop stopping. Get your gear, get, you know, get yourself in gear, turn on the engine, and floor it because we as individuals, okay, we may only have X amount of influence, but all of us as individuals together with the same goal in the same direction can put that much more force on the situation and push back these idiots that are trying to control us. And we have, as a blueprint, the U.S. Constitution, mm -hmm. which should not ever change. You know, the viewpoint, this is a living document. It should be changed. No. It was designed in such a way by intelligent people, people who understood what Plato was talking about in the Republic, what the ancient Greeks did in Athens. They saw the 2,000 years of this history and realized what's the common thread going from civilization to civilization, ruler to ruler, from, from a democracy to a dictator, an emperor, a king, a feudal system. What are the common threads running through all that? We need to protect ourselves from that. And that's why we have things like the First Amendment, the Second Amendment, the Fourth Amendment. All of these things are there for a reason because they were, if they were not in place, we would just be abused by whoever was going to be our ruler. And Washington felt so strongly about that. You know, the early people said, we want you for our king. He says, hey, we just fought to get away from a king. I don't want to be a king. So, so <laughs> I was going to say, well, really quick, I mean, from where you're coming right now, obviously, I think you're you're speaking, obviously, to a, a libertarian audience, and I think that's wonderful because, obviously, the libertarian audience is, is the audience that we most reflect with, um, but I, I think it'd be good just because, you know, obviously, you are running for Congress, right? Um, so, and I think it's interesting, too, that you've, you kind of, you, you've jokingly kind of acknowledged the reality that, you know, the, the chances of victory are very, very slim, especially being a write-in candidate. Um, but I don't think that mm. seems to be your your vision. I think you're just trying to to put a you know put a, a, a cog in the machine to, to try and and you know th just mix things up a little bit. So I mean, with that being said, well, you're in New York. Could you kind of kind of speak to that, and then in more specific terms, for whatever it is the New York issues that are taking place that you want to to maybe you know bring up to the the forefront? Well, as we well, first off, like I said. Most of New York City is blue. They are liberal. 
we've got a mayor who was best friends with the Sandinistas. And I think he still is. The trying to go up that hill against the rest of the nine million New Yorkers is going to be tough. But there's there are common things that are going on here is that you have people that are constantly looking for government to solve their problems rather than stand on their own two feet. Yes, not all of us have the wherewithal to do X, Y and Z, but we're not helpless babies either. And the more that people understand that, the more they'll say, OK, I'm sick of being you know, talked down to like I am a little child. I'm, I want to stand on my own two feet. One of the things you've seen going through the Internet and on the news shows and Twitter lately is the walk away hashtag. Walk away was created by a guy from Brooklyn. He's a hairdresser. I think he's gay. And basically, it's people who are sick and tired of being told what to do by the left, that they're walking away from the left. And as they're doing their research, they're realizing, hey, I think more like a conservative. I think more like a libertarian. Maybe I should be investigating that. So yes, while I may be just that little you know, disruption in the machinery for this year, will it get people to think? Especially those who are not libertarian or those who are just looking at it for the first time. Can we put all the pieces together and say, this is what we need to think about. This is what we need to do to make it work down the road. Now, yeah, if I, if I can, you know, like the old story of the, uh, the emperor's new clothes. <clears throat> I'm not only the kid that points out the emperor is naked. I'm going to hold up the mirror. <laughs> that's, a, that's a quite an analogy there. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, while it would be nice that <clears throat> this all gets pulled off, I pull an upset and everybody writes me in, <clears throat> which by numbers, I only need one third of those who've turned out for midterm elections in the past. So you're speaking but, to, as I was gonna say, you're speaking to, let's say, your perspective <clears throat> voter in, in New York 11. Um, you know, what would you say to that voter as to why <clears throat> they should write down Charles Hargrove versus the other two candidates? Very simple. Your distrust of many things that the Republican candidate has done already, including not voting for the tax cuts three times, is just one thing that a lot of people here on Staten Island were upset with. Two, the things that the Democratic candidate are constantly throwing up, there's things he wants to do are all socialist sounding, even though he's tempering it a little bit. And that's against what many people here on Staten Island don't want. They don't believe in government handouts. Yes, there are pockets of them uh, along the North Shore, if they're tied into the city housing projects, things of that nature. But for the majority of Staten Island, and this district also covers the southern port of Brooklyn, so um, Bay Ridge, Bensonhurst, um, you know, right along the Bell Parkway before you get to Coney Island. There's a lot of middle and conservative-minded people in that area. And that's what I'm looking to just make that connection with those people. It's like, look, you don't have to be swung in one direction or the other. Let's go back to the Constitution. What makes sense? Can this be pulled off without our monetary system totally collapsing on us because everybody wants free stuff? That's what we saw in the, uh, you know, Bernie was going against Hillary in the primaries in 2016. I'll see your free stuff and raise three more free stuff. Who's going to pay for it? Yeah, we need some sanity. And we're not seeing that. Well, I think I think you're uh, you, you're definitely you're you're preaching to the choir with a with being a, a, on the We Are Libertarians <laughs> network for sure. Uh, I mean, part of the, the the whole goal for this show is is to kind of escape those those confines of what I would consider to be the the libertarian echo chamber because 
even though I, I mean we all believe that we're right, I think it's good for us to get out and and to talk to other people and to to you know, be able to find out why people believe what they believe. And I think you're, you you touched on it very very succinctly with your uh, statements on the walkout um, campaign, where people are starting to finally you know get out of their own echo chambers and start to try to talk mm-hmm. to other people. And I think once right. we're able to have those conversations with with one another, we're going to find out that. It's it, there's actually a lot more that we are finding in terms of, of commonalities than the differences we have. It's those differences that are, are so minor, but in our minds we give them so much more credence than they actually have. So, um, or they've been artificially set up by the different camps. Oh, absolutely. On the left and the right, that tries to compartmentalize us. Okay, you're you're over here in our camp. Don't trust those guys over there. It's like oh, why not? Yeah. And we're seeing that right now in in uh, in Missouri, where Austin Peterson he uh, he's running obviously to to uh, defeat Josh Hawley uh, in the the GOP primary as a Libertarian Republican, and then to face Claire McCaskill. And one of uh, Austin's um, campaign things he's doing right now is he's actually doing a giveaway for a ghost gun printer. Um, and you see people, <laughs> <laughs> I know, and, and you can tell. I mean, I'm sure how well that turned out uh, with people on the left. You know, just the the hysteronics of people reacting to that. Um, uh, I know. But what about the Ninth Circuit just announced, what was it, yesterday or the day before? Uh, the Second it, Amendment guarantees you the right to carry a gun with you for self-defense? Yep. The se- the Ninth District Court said that? Yeah. Wow. Of all, of all the courts, the one you wouldn't think that they would actually do that, but a lot. And, and you know, and I, the point I was trying to make there is that as soon as he, Austin talked about that, you had the people in the anti-gun camps start just going, Guns are the worst thing in the world. They're meant to kill people, and they just they they dig their heels in without actually thinking about what they're talking about. And mm-hmm. I actually so I had on my show back a couple months ago is a uh, a younger group called uh, Triggered Millennials, and their whole shtick is that it's political agnostic, but it's the embracing of the right to self preservation and the ability yes. to to get past. If you're gay or straight, if you're Muslim, Christian, or atheist, if you're a guy or a girl, um, or, or transgender, just anybody has the ability to to have that that God-given right, that that natural right to be able to defend yourself, and with that comes the the right to defend yourself as you see fit. To the point that you, you know, I don't want you know uh, you know a hundred and ten pound woman being violated by a 320 pound guy um exactly and, and the the gun unfortunately it's a, it's a sad reality but that is the great equalizer and it, well it's not like we're all walking around with uh with swords anymore this is the 21st century unless you're in in, in the united kingdom where you're only allowed to have knives and even then that's well to become, you know, yeah even then they're trying to take the knives away now <laughs> of course because <laughs> if, if history's taught one thing is that you know is, is a society where you get rid of guns all the crime just just stops right that's just, that's how it works. oh yeah yeah look at australia 1998 99 <laughs> exactly. take away the guns and all of a sudden armed robberies went up 40 percent the following year like give me a break <laughs> and, and, and we're seeing and yes I, I watched john stossel when i was younger yes um uh, <laughs> John Stossel is amazing. He's still keep keeping on. I love it. He's he's doing a lot more videos now on social media, and he's reaching his audience in a lot. Uh, I think it's even a better way now because now he's he's being able to break past the uh, the the mainstream media, um, you know, the, the monopoly they have on trying to disseminate information, and now he can reach an audience that's far larger. Um, and honestly, I yep. think it's it's a much more engaged audience. I mean, we're seeing the likes of you know love them or hate them things like the Young Turks. Um, CRTV, The Blaze, um, you know, even the oh, Earth, yeah, yeah. I mean, all these, all these organizations are establishing these massive audiences because people are are starting to, you know, basically walk walk away from the traditional media and they're looking mm-hmm. for media that's much more engaging, that's going to give them uh, much more information beyond what they're they're used to getting these. These seven-second sound bites. I mean, uh, I'm not sure if you, you're familiar with like Dave Rubin and Joe Rogan, but uh, oh yeah, or, yeah, or Jordan Peterson. And and uh, I was listening to Joe Rogan's show back. I think it was two weeks ago. He had Jordan Peterson on, and they were talking about um, you know how how this this they they call themselves the intellectual dark web has become such a a presence in the online media community. And you know they're getting millions of views, and they're getting um, you know just just this amazing amount of, of, of traction, and it's 
it's almost counterintuitive to what everybody has been taught as to what attracts people to to listen or to watch because right. i mean usually you'll see on you know let's say for example fox news you'll have let's just say back in the days of, of sean handy and alan combs with handy and combs you'd have you know a a guest come on they would be a rabid conservative you'd have another guest they'd be a rabid liberal you'd have about five minutes to discuss a topic you'd have barbs being tossed back and forth and and you know these these little ha gotcha little quotes and then, and then yeah, a commercial break <laughs> exactly and then that was it and then you go to the next guest whereas with these new voices we're having these full-fledged intellectual conversations really digging into issues and and trying to get past this this you know this surface level kind of you know it, it's it's all fluff there's nothing of substance to it um it, it and I just, I personally think, and I'm sorry to go on a little tangent there, but thinking <laughs> of, of where we are right now and what you and I are doing right now, having this conversation, um, you know, if you were to go on, you know, I, I'm not sure any particular uh, news channel in, in New York City off the top of my head, but if you were to go on a morning show, they would have you on for, for you know, maybe two or three minutes, discuss your running for, for, for Congress against Michael Grimm and, and uh, Max, what's his name? The oh, it's, it's Dan, Dan Donovan and Max Rose. Oh, that's right. Mac, Mike Grimm, he's gone now. Um, yeah, but, I mean, Grimm's they, out of there. Yeah, but they would have you on to talk very, very briefly. And then they would say, okay, and then, you know, here's a dog that we saw running down the street. Looks so cute. On the yeah, commercial yeah. Break. Oh. And, and then, like, <laughs> it just, it's amazing that we're able to have this kind of conversation and you're able to reach an audience that's beyond the scope of new york city and you can use this to, to reach people within new york city it's just i mean i, I mean this we kind of got off a little topic there but i think it's so it's so valuable and it's such a, a great opportunity where we are right now in 2018 to as libertarian minded folk be they you know big l libertarian party or little l libertarian within the respective you know conservative federalist republican parties what what have you to be able to reach an audience um, that otherwise we wouldn't have been able to reach, and I mean, you you've had the experience doing doing radio on on your own that you, know, you were able to to kind of escape that paradigm of you know it's going to be the media or 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 not. You know, no, I can I can do things in a different way, and I right. just I view podcasting, I view um, you know, the the new networks that are being built as this kind of uh, further answer to the the issues that we were facing before with this one you know monolithic media empire that was well the, it, it's the next media. logical step <clears throat> you know we were consumers of news and information by way of three main network channels abc cbs and nbc and a handful of independents and then cable came along and we got a few more we got the chicken noodle network we got this you know the but today, by using the internet and by using our different ways of contacting each other and having, like you said, meaningful conversations about things, is that people are now being educated on the finer points of the various topics rather than being a surface thing. Now, back in the late 70s, early 80s, I had a shortwave radio that I would turn on when I came home from work every night. I used to work on Wall Street for a Japanese bank. And I would come home. And I would turn it on and I would listen to the various shortwave stations broadcasting in English because, you know, I only took some Spanish in school. I don't know. I don't understand Japanese or anything. So I'd listen to Voice America, BBC, uh, Deutsche Welle, which is the German broadcasting, uh, even Radio Moscow, Radio Toronto, Australia. I'd listen to all of them in, in the evening. And my reasoning for doing that was to listen to the news Fully understanding that every single one of them had a different slant on the news. But whatever was common to all of them had to be the truth sticking right up out of the middle. So I was a very discerning consumer of news even back then at the age of 19, 20 years old. Today, by doing this on the Internet, now we can have this extended conversation on whatever topic. And those people who are coming through the walk away program or just realizing, hey, I guess I am a libertarian like I discovered back in the mid 90s. Well, now they can actually hear things, understand things and interact by putting the questions back in through the Twitter feeds and the Facebook accounts and, you know, on online website comment areas 
and actually have a two-way dialogue with whoever they're listening to. I love listening to Jordan Peterson, how he just knocks down the argument of the left. It's like, this guy is a brain. And yet he has no problem interfacing with other people. Now, yes, of course, you're going to get a few crackpots, but, you know, most people aren't. It's amazing because he wouldn't have been able to to have a voice were it not for that medium like YouTube, where he all he did was literally rebroadcast his his lectures as a yes. professor of psychology at the University of Toronto. And, um, you know, it's funny that I, I actually know people, you know, anecdotally that were far left liberals and, and they messaged me privately and they're saying, you know, Brian, I I listened to Jordan Peterson because I had to listen to see how wrong he was. And then after a bit, I started thinking, huh, what he's saying, yeah, what he's saying <laughs> actually makes sense. And then they start to look at the hit piece that comes out from the New York Times trying to, to mm -hmm. show, you know, the, the quote unquote enforced monogamy statement by by Peterson. And they messaged me privately saying that's not what he said. Like they're completely yep. taking it out of context. And I'm like, yeah, that that's kind of the point. And that's and that's what people I don't want to say, you know, just to blanket say the right, but just people who are aware of the 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 dam the damage that media can do in general and how they can frame a narrative. That's what we've mm -hmm. been saying for years. Um Well, look at uh, Dennis Prager. No, absolutely. Okay. The things that his organization comes out with and how much he's gotten trashed and throttled on social media that he's had to take different avenues at the same time trying to battle them. Now, I found even on my own Twitter feed, if I mention a particular word or organization or link from a particular group, all of a sudden my my impressions as they rated on, on Twitter drops down to like five and stays there for hours at a time until I start complaining, naming Twitter by name, by hashtag, and all of a sudden the numbers start going up. <laughs> so it's like, you know, come on, guys. We know what you're doing. Stop doing it. Yeah. And oh. an hour later, all of a sudden they start flowing in. It's like, give me a break. <laughs> Well, well, listen, Charles. We're we're at the point now. I I, I like to uh, before we actually get censored here by uh, by the powers that be. Um, you know the, the NSA who's listening before they they cut my power out. Um, oh, no, you you don't want to say the key words. <laughs> NSA, CIA, <laughs> FBI. What? Um, no, but <laughs> bomb president, Al Qaeda. Oh, that fun <laughs> stuff. Yeah. Um, I, my friend I, Mark did that all the time on cell phone. <laughs> <laughs> Well, listen, I just want to give you a, a, you know, one last kind of platform here. So as we, we wrap up the podcast or the, uh, the podcast today, I just wanted you to, to be able to, to kind of give, you know, one last uh, hurrah. You know, what, what, what is it that you want to have my, my listeners walk away as the main, um, the main kind of meat and potatoes about the, the, not only the interview we just had here in the conversation, but also, you know, your candidacy and then, you know, as things are going forward. Okay. Well, first off, um, my basic information and, and personal views on various things to be found on my website, which is hargrove4congress.us. Hargrove4congress.us. And on the about page, you'll see my background and things that I believe in, including all the key libertarian, you know, red meat that people would, would look at. Following the Constitution, free will, you know, what the government should and shouldn't do, things like that. You know, I've got a few ideas as far as, you know, taxation and monetary systems because I used to be a money trader. Like I said, when I worked at the Japanese bank and a few other places. So a lot of these different things may be lost on some people because they don't have the background. But I have the background that I can chew into the science. I can chew into the math. I can chew into the finances better than most of those in Congress presently. Now, I may not have a lawyer background. But it doesn't mean I can't read. And as uh, Ron Paul said, most laws should be written. They only take up a couple of pages anyway, not the thousand page boondoggles. So anybody who's listening who is in the Staten Island, South Brooklyn area, you know people out here. I just need a little bit more outreach, a little bit more name recognition, a chance to talk in front of people venues, things like that. But go to the website, go to the Twitter feed, interface with me. Let me know you're out there. And, uh, and we'll just take this step at a time. <laughs> Love it. And, and, and I have to ask this question because you're from Staten Island. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure if you're familiar with the show Impractical Jokers. Are, do, you, do you know the show and do you know the guys? 
I've heard of them. I've seen different pieces about them in the local newspaper. I have not attended a show yet. Okay. <laughs> I, I'm just going to tell you right now. But, but I, it is but it is an interesting thing. I, I just might. <laughs> I was going to say, I'm going to tell you right now, it's easily one of the, in my opinion, one of the funniest shows on TV. It's just, it's so pure and it's just, it's just for good, you know, uh, high school to, to now friends. They're in their mid forties. Um, and, and they, they just have fun. And I think it, that's just, it's, such a comedy that's just so genuine and pure that's so needed today. Um, you know, there's no politics in it. There's no, um, you know, trying to, mm -hmm. to be the, the PC police. It's just four guys having fun and messing with each other. And I think it's it's just so genuine. But anyways, I, I had to ask that question from you being from Staten Island. But uh, uh, no, no problem. I, when, when I went to high school, I went to Tottenville High School. Um, I was part of the, the Arista Honor Roll Science Math Nerd crowd. But we had plenty of friends who were uh, satirical. They were jokers. They they liked to have a good laugh. We, uh, yeah, you know, my best best man at my wedding was one of them. In fact, he was the valedictorian too. So you know, go try to balance that one out. But uh, <laughs> but yeah, we we always like to have a good time too. Well, that's what I'd like to hear. Well, listen, Charles, I appreciate you taking the time to uh, to join me today. Um, so, I mean, with that being said, ladies and gentlemen, if you enjoyed uh, and you're listening to Charles and you want to learn more about him, as he mentioned, you can swing over to Hargrove4, and that's F-O-R, congress.us, um, to, to find his official website. And if you want to go ahead and give uh, give Charles a follow on Twitter, uh, swing over. It's at C-J Hargrove underscore S-I. Um, and then, uh, as for me, guys, if you, uh, if, if you're a fan of the Brian Nichols show and you might have noticed, we have a brand new logo that was redesigned and I, I gotta give a shout out, it's a, a, a pseudo sponsorship to the guy who actually did the redesign. Um, he's a phenomenal gra graphic designer. Um, I, I hope I'm not giving too much information away, but you know, he's very, uh, very well established in, uh, very notable companies here in Philadelphia for their, uh, graphic design work. Um, his name is Connor Moriarty, and if you're interested in possibly, um, you know, having any of your designs updated, or if you want to have a new design, um, feel free to send me an email. It's Connor.Moriarty at Cortland.edu. Um, but then as for me, guys, if you want to follow me on Twitter, at B. Liberty, at Facebook, at B. Liberty, and as always, feel free to like and review um, today's episode on iTunes, share with family and friends. And uh, if you're interested in one of those don't hurt people, don't take people stuff bumper stickers, send me an email at thebriannicholsshow at gmail.com. But until next time, folks, it's Brian Nichols signing off for congressional candidate in New York, Congressional District 11, Charles Hargrove. We'll see you next week.